You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Chad Carson. This is Sunita Rao. Hi, I'm Lauren Williams, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. It was a sentinel moment in my life. I was a freshman in high school, and I was at a new school, and the thing I wanted more than anything else was to play on the basketball team. You see, I had tried out in seventh grade, and believe it or not, my middle school had a really great team, and I didn't make it. And then I practiced all summer for eighth grade, and I lost my nerve and never even tried out. So by the time I got to freshman year, I was ready to play on the team, and we had just moved. So I didn't know a soul at my new school. And if you ask my mom, she'll tell you that her biggest hope was that I would make the team. And the reason why is she felt like if I made the team, I would meet a group of people And then I would integrate into this new school and everything would be great. And of course, I didn't make the team. I was good enough, but I choked. I totally lost it. I didn't play nearly as well as I should have. And I look back at this episode in my life, and strangely enough, I'm thankful. You see, when I was really little, I had a learning disability. So I pretty much feel like I failed at learning how to read when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten. And then I got into athletics and I failed at athletics. The one thing I wanted to do more than anything else was to play basketball. And I just wasn't good enough or ready. But as I got older, I realized that I got good at failing, not in that kind of bad way of failing and giving up, but good in that sense that I could go out and try really hard and not succeed and yet pick myself up and move on. And eventually I did move on. I moved on to academics I became really good at school and became a doctor. I moved on to business and real estate and formed my own businesses and became a landlord. I learned how to do things well because originally I didn't do them well at all. But sometimes I wonder, how would my life have been different if I made that basketball team? If I ended up being really good or maybe even played in college, how would I be different as an adult? Emotionally, physically, financially. How do athletics affect our financial trajectory? And speaking of athletics and financial success, want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. 
WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Chad Carson was a starting linebacker and a two-year defensive captain for Clemson University from 1998 to 2001. We all know and love him as the coach who will get your real estate game on point. Chad, no longer the player, but you're still the coach. Yeah, I, b- I borrowed the coach and stuck with it. That was, that was my, I think that's my one line from sports these days. My Clemson sports was, I, I still love the metaphor of, of coaching and, and learning. And I'm not sure if that's a, that's a good place to start there, Doc G. But yeah, sports was all, always to me about learning and growth. And so that's when I started teaching and trying to help other people, just the basics, the fundamentals. I always thought back to my coaches, the people who really cared about me and helped me out. It was less about my performance on the field and more about you know, those people who were helping me out and working with me. And I just wanted to be one of those people. Yeah, you and I have talked about this before. I love that metaphor for your brand, for what you do, which is help people with real estate. Because coach does connect you to what you did in college, but it connects you to your way of looking at the world. So I think it's very, very fitting. Lauren Williams is a three-time Olympian and one of a very select few who has medaled in both the Summer and Winter Olympics, and now is the force behind Worth Winning Financial Planning. Lauren, was it one gold and two silvers? It was one gold and two silvers, one gold in the four by one relay, a silver in the hundred meters. And then I switched on over to that winter sport and earned a silver medal in bobsled. Yeah, it's actually an amazing story of how you ended up in bobsled. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, Sunitha Rao forwent college and quite a bit of schooling to become a professional tennis player at the age of 14. Over the next nine years, she won multiple doubles titles and ranked as high as 144 in singles in the world. Sunitha, let me get this straight. Did you compete for both the U.S. and India? Throughout my career, depending on which stage of my career, yes, I competed for both. However, in the 2008 Olympics, I represented India. So we're going to talk today about how athletics can affect our financial trajectories Chad, I was looking at your About Me page, and there's this iconic photo there. You are kneeling in front of an opponent with your hand on his shoulder, and you have another hand pointing up towards the sky with your finger pointing upwards. Do you remember that moment? It's just such a great picture. I had to ask you about it. I typically remember like before the play, but no, it, it, was, it was just one of those, I think I sacked a quarterback, which for people don't, I don't expect everybody to know about football, but it was when you tackle the quarterback and they call it a sack when you tackle him behind the line. And, and so it was just one of those celebratory moments. There was kind of a big play and you just jump up. But I don't remember, you know, that exact scenario when that happened or anything, but I just, I, I do remember the excitement and kind of the intensity of the moment. Do you have a moment you remember on the field that always sticks with you? Something that just was one of those life moments you'll take with you forever? You know, funny to say, a lot of the negative moments are the ones that stick with me the most. I don't know if the, other, the others think the same way, but we were, my junior year in college, we were undefeated. We were number three in the country, so we were ranked pretty well and had a lot of momentum. And we were playing against another school, Georgia Tech. And at the very end of the game, I was on defense. All we had to do is stop the other team and we win the game. And 
play after play, they kept converting and getting first downs. And one of them was like, they threw, threw a ball like three inches over my hands and got a long first down. And it was all on me, basically. That was my fault. And uh, I remember that. I don't, and I don't, you know, some of the, I'm sure there's lots of good moments, but I remember stuff like that where you're just a little bit short and I don't know, maybe that's a personality flaw or something, but yeah, I definitely remember those. It's funny you mentioned that because in my introduction, when I was talking about basketball, it was not the positive moment I remember that affected me so much about athletics. It was actually the negative moment. Lauren, you've had a few negative moments here and there. Yeah, I can definitely resonate with that, Chad. There's a lot of things that I remember that are negative about my career. And it's really hard sometimes when people ask me about like, hey, what's one of these really good things? And now that I've done a few speaking engagements and things like that, I can come up with the positive ones and I've got my go-tos. But definitely, I think, you know, the shame around things that don't go right in life or in sport are the things that kind of stick with us over time. And hopefully to be lessons that are learned, though. Let's talk, Lauren, about one of those potentially negative moments. The year is 2013, and your track and field career may be coming to an end by a threatening shoulder injury. And you have a conversation with famous hurdler and bobsledder Lolo Jones. Tell me what happened. Yeah, so 2013 was my last year under contract with the the brand that I was working with. And I knew that I needed to figure out what life after sport looked like for me. I'd kind of started dabbling in finance at that time, but wasn't really sure that that was what I wanted to do. And it, anybody who's transitioned from, from sport to life after sport will tell you that it is incredibly, incredibly hard, whereas something has been your identity for so long to go on into something else. So I was lucky to have this chance conversation with Lolo about what a great experience she had with bobsled. And I was actually thinking of it as something more recreational to kind of keep me busy and keep me active life after sport. I didn't realize that there was potential to earn a living, to go to the Olympics in six months, that my whole life could change, but that one conversation truly did change my life. Yeah, something to keep you busy turns into a silver medal in six months. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> you got to take the, the bad with the good. So the bad was that life, that track and field was going to be over. I was really having a hard time managing my weight was another, you know, bad aspect. And it wasn't that I wasn't working hard as an athlete in track and field. It just, you know, my body was changing is what I kind of came to realize later on. But it changed for the better in the sense that, you know, th- they were looking for heavier sprinters in bobsled. That's exactly what they need. Powerful speed, but also they say mass moves mass. So they were like, how much weight can you gain? And I was like, oh, you want to test this theory? Like, let's do it. <laughs> so SUNY, Lauren is talking about life after sports and An interesting part of your story is that to become a professional tennis player, you had to put education to the wayside. So from 14 to 23, you are actively competing, and then 23 comes along and you retire. Did you almost feel like, what now? I definitely felt like, what now? That was probably one of like the lowest points of my life, honestly. You know, like I had retired put all of my money back into the sport, didn't have anything financially to show for it, didn't have an education to show for it because I dropped out after sixth grade. By the time I was like 13, I was training full time. So trying to to break away and 
I don't know, develop life skills and understand how real life worked and how to support myself was definitely quite the journey, but one that I'm, I'm really thankful for. I think the, the time in sports, all the losses we take really make us resilient and we learn how to transform that loss into something that we can use as a positive to better ourselves moving forward. And if I'm correct, you grew up as an immigrant in the United States. Scarcity was not something new to you. So you went from maybe more scarce background to some of the excesses of being a professional tennis player, maybe dealing with some of your colleagues who came from much wealthier families. It must have been strange to go from scarcity to excess and then back to 23 and nothing. Yeah, it was. So so my parents, I was actually born here, but my parents came from India from very small villages, no running water, like just just very poor backgrounds. And so we were, my parents uh, were on welfare. My fa- my house got broken into. Those are like my, my earliest memories growing up. And then we fast forward like 15 years and all of a sudden I'm playing in front of like sold out stadiums. I'm staying in the nicest five-star hotels in Asia. I mean, not at the time I didn't always have to pay for it, you know, and it's just to, to this life of opulence and extravagance. And then back to knowing that you again have nothing and have to start over. It's, it's pretty jarring and humbling. Chad, it sounds like this interaction of athletics and life is complicated. It's not all positive nor negative. I feel like we have to go back to the beginning to understand it a little bit. Talk about how you discovered football. Is it something you always wanted to do as a kid? And another question, was football an end to itself? Or when you were younger, did you see it as a way, for instance, to get into college or to make a living? Football for me was, it was sort of a family dream. My, my father played football in college as well. And so just growing up, you know, just admired what he had done and wanted to hang out with dad and, and play football a little bit. So I think it started off as that. But then, you know, sports is, especially elite sports are kind of funny in that you, you can want to do it as much as you can. You can want to make the ninth grade basketball team, but if, you're, if your body, if your talent doesn't fit that, you, you, get, you always have, a, we all have ceilings. And I was just built more for football. Like I love basketball. That's actually my favorite sport to play. And I still play pickup basketball today. I loved baseball. I loved lots of sports. So I just, I loved playing. I loved the, the competition. I loved the growth, but football was just my talent. I'm 6'3". It, it was about 230, 235 when I played linebacker. So I was just built for that. And so I think I realized that kind of in middle school that I was starting to get more of that build and was successful playing. So I, I you know, having conversations with my dad, I said, hey, I, I'd like to play college football and maybe get a scholarship. And it was just, just one, sort of like financial independence or some of these things we talk about. It was just one of those, hey, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. And you start daydreaming about it. And it, it started with that. And then but still to this day, the, the kind of fun part about it, looking back, maybe not at the time, was just the, the grind of it, just figuring out, all right, what do, I ha- what do I have to do? Do I have to work out? Do I have to train? Do I have to get good at finding my position? And so a lot of that, looking back, was one of my, the, the most fun parts about it. The dream was cool, too. But, you know, just having to pay the price and, and take that, par- that path to, being, to meeting your talent and, and making your talent as good as it can be, that was a, a very rewarding experience as well. Lauren, it sounds like Chad is saying that sports, football particularly, meant a lot to him. It was a way to connect to his father. It was a way to think about getting a scholarship to college, possibly even a way to make a living. What did sports mean to you and your family growing up? Was it important? 
Sports wasn't so important to me, you know, in the growing up phases of life. It was just a way to be active, to be outside. So I come from a household with five sisters, two brothers, not a lot of income to go around, not a lot of financial literacy, but also the idea that education was very, very important. So that was the thing more so than sports that was talked about constantly in our household and education being the thing that could take you anywhere. Sports was just kind of a byproduct of get out of the house, go outside and play, which was the thing, you know, get, get from in front of those video games all the time. And I started to show promise in sports and it ended up being for me something that took me all kinds of places. So I feel like the things that I got from sports were, you know, multiple different kinds of life skills, multiple different types of life experiences. I'm, I'm far more well-rounded because of the, the places I got to travel, the people I got to meet while participating in sports. It did provide the opportunity for me to get a free education, which I probably was going to be eligible for, you know, at least partial academic monies. But at the point at which I realized I could go to school for free and I was already enjoying running around this circle anyway, and it, it opened up doors to much bigger schools than, you know, I'd probably previously thought were on my, you know, list of things that were accomplishable. Sports became a very important part and a very important resource in my life. Was there a time where it clicked with your parents or family where they're like, oh, she could use sports as a vehicle to go to a really good school or to get more financial aid or scholarships? Like, did it click at some point, maybe when you were in high school or when you really started to develop your abilities? I'm not sure in what way it clicked. They, they, it definitely clicked for both of my parents that they knew I had promise and that they needed to foster, you know, me reaching my full potential in the form of me doing age group track and field and getting me to track meets and doing little fundraisers and, you know, people donating shoes whenever it was necessary. We, we did a, a lot of traveling via car because we couldn't afford plane tickets. So they, they knew that it was worth investing in me to get me to the places that I needed to be. But I don't know what they thought the end game was, whether it was free education or the Olympic Games. They, they definitely knew it was, there was more to it than just letting me kind of slide and play, do it as I felt like it. They, they wanted to make sure that I grew and blossomed in that area. SUNY Lauren reminds me that there are economic hurdles to most sports. Tennis, I imagine, can be quite expensive, especially as you get good and have to travel to play in these tournaments. Why tennis coming from your immigrant Indian family? Like how did it become tennis as opposed to something else? <laughs> that was that was the sport that was chosen for me. So my father grew up in Southern India and um, was actually from the same town as these very prolific tennis players in the 70s. And my father was a soccer player. He wants to play in the English Premier League, never happened, wanted to live those dream, those athletic dreams, wasn't ready to give up on them. And then I came along and he remembered those times that where he would see like people from his town being famous and, and engaging in the consumerism that came with the money that they made. And he wanted that life. So it was, that was just what was, what was chosen for me. Luckily I was good at it. <laughs> it sounds like Similar to the question I asked, Lauren, for your father, did he see tennis also as a vehicle for success for you or maybe even greater acceptance in this new culture he was brought his family to? Oh, 100%. Yeah. So like, I think in sports, there's this grandiose idea of being able to live the high life and what, what earnings can bring you. And so he had bought very much into that. And so that was his idea of success. And that was, even though coming from an Indian background, like education is important. For me, it was all about being able to succeed so that I could financially provide for my family. 
Chad, we're going to jump mostly through all of your guys' professional careers and go straight to post-athletics. But before I get there, was there ever this idea that football was going to be your career, that you were going to go pro and that's what you were going to do? Not for me. I think there, for a lot of players, it is. And for whatever reason, my dream was college football, getting an edu- education under Lauren said that was something big with her family. It was the same with my family. And as I got into my career, it looked like I might have a chance to play professional football and start talking to scouts and teams. I sort of fell off a cliff my senior year. I think my body was just done. And I didn't, didn't I had chances to play like Canadian football and some other stuff, but I just did, it just wasn't set for me. And it, it, to me, that wasn't a, it was a disappointment at the time. I kind of had one of those moments that SUNY mentioned as well, like, all right, I'm 23 and what's going on here. And I had a little pity party for myself at that, you know, at that moment. Looking back on it though, it was, it was, it was a good, good transition. Let me think about some other things. Let's, let's go beyond athletics and, and start looking at some of the, the foundation of what I'd built with that. And for me, entrepreneurship was the good transition. I was actually a pre-med major, biology. I love this. I love science. And I applied to five different med schools, but I just wanted to take a break because I was just worn out from sports and I just didn't want anything organized. I didn't want any kind of meetings anymore. And so I said, I'm just going to take a year or two off, be an entrepreneur. I might, I'll probably lose money. It's not going to work, but then I'll go back to the real world after that. And it was the best thing I ever did in, in my, my case, because it, was, it had a lot of the similar qualities to sports. It had your, you had to have self-discipline. There was a lot of challenges. There's competition. And so I, just, I sort of transferred my competitiveness into another game. And it was luckily the, the game also makes money. So I had some, some fun score, scorekeeping as well. Lauren, it sounds like you were interested in finance in college, but was there ever this idea that you would just stick with athletics and once you couldn't compete anymore, let's say that you would train or become a coach, what made you decide to leave athletics itself? Yeah, I I never wanted to be a professional athlete. That was something that kind of fell in my lap and it was an amazing journey, but it wasn't a goal or aspiration of mine where I wanted to be an Olympian when I grew up or I wanted to be just like so-and-so or such-and-such. College athletics was a means for me to transition off to just life. And I had a goal I remember very clearly. I don't know where I came up with this number, but it was to graduate and to find a job making $80,000 a year which we know most undergraduate degrees could use start off entry level, it's $30,000, $40,000 a year. I just, I just knew I turned my nose up at that. And I was like, somehow, some way, I'm going to do better than my peers. And I'm going to find a job that's going to earn me 80K right out of school. No idea why that number was important. But numbers and math and money was always a thing for me. In fact, that's the way I chose my major. So, you know, at 17 years old, I think now that we're older, and we look back on it, we realize we didn't know anything at that time. Um, And it was simply, I like math, I like money. And someone told me that finance is something that you can major in that has both of those. So that's how I picked it. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up or you know, what I was doing. I just knew college was the next step and this math money thing makes sense. Let's go there. And now let's try to figure out how to make $80,000. <laughs> SUNY, when Lauren said, you know, my plan was never to be a professional athlete, I saw you kind of smile and giggle for a moment. Was there any idea in your head that, okay, at some point I'll have to retire from being a professional tennis player, but then I'll coach or I'll teach lessons or tennis is going to be what I do for the duration? I was going to play tennis until I was about 30, retire, go live in the south, south of Spain for the rest of my life and never lift a finger again. That was my plan. <laughs> it didn't work out so well. 
<laughs> and I was laughing because I, I love the idea. Like, it's just Lauren's journey sounds so different from mine, you know? So I was like, I was literally conceived to play tennis. And I think it's just so cool to, to be able to have the talent and the passion where it's something that you want to do and it actually ends up working out for you. I thought, I think that part of your journey is super cool, Lauren. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's been very interesting to just kind of watch my life unfold, like you said, without having really, you know, even though I'm a financial planner and planning is what I do at this point, I feel like my life in general has not come from plans per se. I think it's been preparation, but the preparation leading to something and then, you know, it's like, oh, let me open this door. And it's like, okay, well, this is where we're going now. And yeah. Suni, you said that you were quote unquote, conceived to play tennis. Do you think that's part of the reason that when you had a choice, you left it and left it behind? Yes, 100%. So like, I really needed the opportunity to be able to prove myself and be successful in another area. And I think coming from background where education was important, but I was never really truly like allowed to pursue that and really be able to prove myself intellectually, I really needed that opportunity. And also, I think like I needed the chance to have a stable paycheck and being like a person who had, I don't know, who had gained control of their life that looked like someone with a stable paycheck, but also someone who was in the front of a boardroom. I ended up taking taking a different route as a result of kind of my more negative experiences in the athletic world. Chad, let's talk a little bit about the effect athletics has had on your life do you think it made you more prepared to enter the world after college? I mean, you finish up with football, you have this idea that maybe you're going to go into medicine, and then somehow you end up in real estate. Did the lessons you learned on the field help you become a successful real estate investor? I think there were a few. I mean, there, there's the specific sport sports skills that aren't that applicable, you know, like doing linebacker drills and running in, in and out of bags and having good footwork has nothing to do with anything I'm doing later on. But the, you know, the, the resilience and the, the toughness and the ability, you know, for better or worse, like football has a culture of it's kind of old school with people screaming at you and, hey, get up from, the, you know, you're not heard. And, you know, I, I don't think that's a great, <laughs> great attitude to have. But at, at the same time, you get knocked down a lot and there's a lot of setbacks in life. And so I think I think at best sports are a great metaphor. And fo- football is a very for me, the other benefit was it's a, it's a good team sport and that you, you rely on people. And I think it reminds me every every day that, you know, not only did I not do all this myself? I had a, I had a team around me in real estate. I had a I had parents, and I, I came from a certain situation. It's, it's really fun to listen to different stories. People come from different backgrounds and different places. You know, everybody starts from a different place. And I happen to have a really, you know, financially good foundation. My parents, my mom was a dentist. My dad invested in real estate, so they had you know the income and the wealth building. And so it was just me observing that and having everything taken care of. So like, you know, I think sports teaches me that at least that you depend on other people and you can't succeed unless, unless you have other people around you who you can trust and who you work with. And that to me is one of the most important lessons that you can take, take is that connection to other people and that dependence on other people because money is just, you know, even money itself has no value if everybody else doesn't trust that money. And if you can't give it to somebody else and they trust you contracts and things like that. So that's a sort of an esoteric take on sports, but I think that was a, as I look back on it, I don't think I took that right away. I look back and saw that connection later on. 
Suni, Chad's response interests me because he talked about relying on other people and team sports. You played tennis. You did quite a bit of singles. You did do some doubles. But there was a lot of self-reliance for you and probably for Lauren, too, in what she did. How did you find your skills in tennis translated to being an adult? Did it make your transition easier? Were these skills translatable? I think, like Chad said, maybe not like the specific sports-specific skills, but there are a lot of character-building moments in all of our journeys. It doesn't matter what sport you play or what what form that takes. That definitely translate well to real life. You know, it is the picking yourself up after you lose, the resilience, the ability to delay gratification, which I think has been very important in my own like personal finance journey, you know, making the decisions that maybe right now might not be the most fun. But after years of having to do that with tennis, I know that if I do this with finance in 10 years, I can do X, Y, and Z, you know, and so I think, I think being in a sporting arena, no matter what it is, and fulfilling it to the best of your ability will 100% help anyone kind of optimize their life as they go through it. Lauren, any downsides to being an athlete? Once you got into the real world, did you find any habits or anything that you had learned out there doing what you did athletically that had gotten in the way of your professional life? I don't think that there are any characteristics that kind of, I mean, the competitive edge could be a little bit, you know, it's not always time to compete. And I think the idea of like, you know, let's get stuff done now, just, I I don't think I had a really good understanding of kind of corporate culture, if you will, and people not, not everybody being gun ho to get things done. So I was, you know, glad that I chose entrepreneurship because I don't think I would have done well in a corporate setting or working for someone else, but there's still a fair amount of interacting with people where they're just not as motivated to you know, do their job. I've had probably six different people do websites for me as as an example. And it's just like, why can't I get like, I want to pay you and I want you to follow through on what I paid you to do. Like, why is that? Why do those two things not go together? I would say those are kind of, you know, drawbacks to just like kind of understanding how things work in a different environment that that were things that helped me back. I was just going to comment on some other things that with my football experience, there's a celebrity to sports and, you know, I played college football. I was an Olympic athlete, like either one of you and y'all, y'all really took it to another level, but there is a, you know, form of this, Hey, you're important because you do this physical thing. You play the sport, you have this talent. And, you know, I've just seen with some of my friends who played it, that that can be a real negative if you're not careful with it, because as soon as you take that away, as soon as you have an injury, as soon as you, you know, you're not as good at it anymore, which is going to happen eventually, if you have that identity that I am good because of the sport, that's a really big letdown. And I know there's a lot of depression and a lot of negative consequences that come from some of that people putting you on a pedestal and you taking that seriously. So I, I think that's one that you know, a lot of athletes have to deal with. And I think to kind of tack on to that as well. So one of the experiences that I had when I left the sport, when I was applying for jobs, I was trying to coach and I was told that for one job that they didn't want me, despite the fact that I, they felt like I had the personality and the skill set. because coming out of an arena where you're an athlete, everything is about you. It turns into almost kind of like a little bit of a narcissistic existence. And when you go into the corporate world, when you go into different kinds of jobs, it's not about you anymore. <laughs> like you don't matter. It's about, it's about everything else. So I think I, I don't feel like I had that problem with the transition, but I feel like how others can perceive 
certain aspects of being an athlete that that can be an obstacle to overcome. Yeah, I really resonate with what both of you said, this idea of identity being something that can definitely hold you back. Who who are you outside of being an athlete was something I had to figure out life after sport. And that is like that kind of, like you said, depressed time period where you're sitting on couches eating the bonbons and watching Law and Order on repeat. It just, it, it's bad. But, you know, the other aspect of it is some of that is self-inflicted, but some of that is, I remember very clearly being at a networking event and it kind of being like the last straw for me, where you've been at things before and someone has said so you know what what are you into oh you you know it's so great that you're here because you're an olympian or whatever the case may be and then they say well what are you doing to get prepared for the next games and i'm like well i'm i'm done competing now oh so what are you going to do are you going to coach are you going to be you know a commentator and it was so frequent that people did not see me as anything other than something that was sport related that that was damaging to me as well I didn't feel like I was going to be able to get a job anywhere else because all people thought I was was an athlete. And so I had to kind of get myself out of the the mindset of the only thing I can be is this because that's what everybody sees me as. And I have to also like kind of start correcting people and, and grow some confidence around like, hey, I was a finance major. Hey, I have a master's degree in business. I'm interested in finance. I want to start my own financial planning firm because I wouldn't even answer those questions before. I was just like, no, I'm not going to coach. Not, not really sure what I'm going to do and kind of fade off into the sunset. But some people kind of put their, what they perceive your identity is, and you need to kind of grow and blossom into, you know, what is my identity beyond this thing? In the first half of the show, Lauren, Chad, and Suni talked about the role athletics played in their younger years. After the break, we discussed the challenges of managing their finances post-sport. But first, want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. 
After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Lauren, you bring up an interesting point. Your life post-sport is as a certified financial planner, and one of the things you do is help empower athletes with financial literacy. You mentioned identity. What are some of the other unique hurdles that athletes face once they leave their sport, especially financially? Yeah, uh, one of the biggest hurdles is, like you said, majority of athletes are not going to make enough during their professional sports career to retire but they've also missed a a large window of getting experience and getting, you know, regular work opportunities that are going to make them eligible to, to earn anything. And especially at the level at which they were just earning for the last few years. So some of them kind of stick their head in the sand and think that earnings are always going to be like that. My job as a planner is to talk to them about the idea, you know, what are you interested in life after sport that even though you're earning really well, the biggest obstacle is that sometimes people come from a very low income household and they're earning really well, but they don't realize that it's still not well enough to retire after sport. So if you come from where someone's been feeding a whole family on $40,000 a year and you're making $200,000 a year, but you only do that for two or three years, you don't, you don't get to retire off of making 600 K because you paid a lot of that in taxes and you're, you're 23. You can't make that money work. Uh, we don't have to do all the math behind it, but explaining to someone that, yes, this is far more money than you've ever seen before. And you're just one person, uh, but we got to be able to make this money stretch and that we got to be thinking about what do you want to do life after sport and how can this money kind of maybe close the gap in between that is a really hard conversation to have with someone who feels like they're on top of the world. They're invincible. They're just getting to the best part of their career. Like you said, you never know when this is going to like that. I'm, I'm healthy and fit. So, you know, why change anything? Those are the kind of obstacles that I face as I kind of talk through various financial things and figuring out what life after sport looks like for an athlete. Some of like the glory of being an athlete was being able to afford all these things, you know? What, okay. Yeah, great. I am making that 200,000. Now I can go buy that really nice car. Now I can go buy this. And that's, that is the dream that is sold to us as like young athletes. That is what we dream about. We dream about winning, but we dream about what we are going to spend that money on. And so I wonder, well, I wonder if changing that mindset that has been like deeply seated and rooted for years is something that's, that's hard. If you can get to it while it's still being planted, because for so many of us, we don't even realize until the money's gone. And it's like, oh, we, we have a problem now. <laughs> I was just, as y'all were both talking about that, it made me think that, you know, athletes in those situations, it's really a concentrated version of most people who when they go in their career, because, you know, we all work hard in our career. And the, the tendency of, of almost all of us is that, hey, I've worked hard. I deserve that. I want to get that house. I want to get that car. And, you know, there's some natural, you know, reasons to do that. And you, you reward yourself. And, you know, a- athletes, sometimes just you've worked extra hard for a long period of time for one particular thing. And so when you make some money, go buy the car, go buy the house and you're taking care of friends and family. And, but you know, I think regular people have that same challenge in that you, you work this job and you assume that job's always going to be there. You assume the skills always going to happen. This career is always going to make this amount of money. So it's a very similar mindset that you have to have, whether you're making a bunch of money as an athlete or just a regular career that, you know, you, you have to balance that having fun, enjoying the money, finding things you like right now with that delayed gratification that SUNY talked about earlier. How can I invest some money? And that's, 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 you can't avoid that habit. You have to do that somehow, some way, however you learn it. 
Yeah. And so much of that is tied to literacy. And, and what I find too, is that there's kind of a disassociation between, you know, how much money I have and how much things actually cost. You know, you just know that you have so much more than you ever had before. And it seems like it's an infinite amount. And it's hard to really put in perspective sometimes for an athlete that he said in the, in the same example, we talked about like 200K that you, know, you can't buy everything with $200,000. There, there is a limit on what you can do and understanding that you can't go out and get a million dollar house. And I actually was one of the people like that, you know, my personal experience is a lot what I spend time talking to athletes about. I bought too much house. I bought a house in 2004 and then I went and I turned around and I bought another house in 2006. So, you know, without literacy, you, you cling to the little things you hear out in the world and what the narrative is. And it's like home buying is good for you and it, your house is an asset, but you don't realize you need to have like a good foundation in place and you need to be able to afford that mortgage for 30 years because that's how long a mortgage lasts. And like you said, I had a really long career for an athlete, 10 years, uh, much longer than the, the average athlete, but yeah, what was I going to do life after sport that was going to allow me to afford both of those mortgages over the over the, the long term? And if I had sound financial advice and someone kind of sit and say, hey, you know, you're a single female in your 20s. Why do you need a four bedroom house? Let's talk about is that really necessary right now? And, and do you need this four bedroom house? And like you said, what do you want to do life after sport that's going to allow you to be able to pay this mortgage and this really high air conditioning bill, et cetera, and still be able to have other discretionary income? Is there something that you can do to replace this income? Someone just simply having that conversation with me would have provided me with literacy to say like, hmm, okay, maybe I can't spend that much. But if no one ever gives you that information, then you don't have basic literacy even to, to frame, oh, these things cost a lot more than what I actually have, even though what I have feels like a lot. Suni, we're talking about life after sport and financial literacy. I might be wrong, but there seems to be an association with athletes and eventual entrepreneurship. With you and Chad, that's real estate. Is this connection just in my mind or are athletes well suited towards entrepreneurship? I think that depends on the athlete, but I think that there is a certain level of autonomy and the ability to influence your own future in athletics that is also mirrored in entrepreneurship. And when I left athletics and wanted the stability of like the corporate job and the paycheck, that was great for about a minute. And then I realized how much autonomy I had lost and how much freedom and influence I had given up by entering the corporate arena. And while there's still benefits, I'm still in the corporate world the thrill of entrepreneurship is very similar to the thrill, I think, of competing because you get to put your entire focus, your entire goals, everything into this one thing and you kind of get in the flow and you can you can better manage your own destiny. So I think there are there are parallels that are attractive to athletes. I think the modern world's changed too with I mean athletes are their own brands now. I mean, I remember when I came up, it wasn't, a, you know, when I was getting recruited, it wasn't, you, you felt like you're important because colleges are talking to you and even the NFL was talking to you. But now I, I think athletes get the value of that. Hey, I have the social media following with a hundred thousand people and that can turn into sponsorships and that can turn into all sorts of things. And entrepreneurship is, is, is a part about branding, but it's also about, you know, business and, sell, and building relationships and leveraging those relationships to make, to, to buy assets. And so I, I think there is, there's, there's so much of a business side of sports in an early age. Like if you played 14, you're 14, you're playing tennis, you're learning like quickly how much that is. And, you know, college athletics is, and football is actually pretty, 
different. I think there's some challenges that need to be fixed and that there's a really lopsided economics to that. You know, with, you know, I, I got a college scholarship, other people got college scholarships, but there's players there that are having jerseys sold and are not getting any kind of salaries for that. They're not, you know, I think that's changing a little bit, but you know, the economics of sports is something you learn, you can learn some from, but also there's some disparities there because it was used to be an amateur and, and there's, they're also going to school, but it's not, there's, there's millions and millions of dollars on the line. Coaches are making $10 million a year. And yet some of the players are getting some value, but they're getting a college scholarship and not, not as much value as they probably are giving to the, to the equation. Lauren, it's no secret if we go to your website, one thing we will learn is that you are an Olympic medalist and were an athlete. Do you leverage your name in your history as an athlete in your entrepreneurship? And is that a good thing to do? I don't do it as much as I probably could or maybe should. It's a very delicate balance for me. I mentioned the story about, you know, kind of someone assuming I was a coach or assuming that I would go into commentating. And I've worked really hard to get, you know, like I said, the the credibility behind the financial things that I've done. And I don't want to be seen as just an athlete or being entered, being in, invited into a room because of my athletic accomplishments, because I feel like I have worked my butt off and really earned my way into the rooms that I'm participating in more so now because of, you know, the financial things that I'm accomplishing. I have expertise in student loans and things like that. So I, I leverage it a little, but I, I have not figured out, you know, maybe I need a, a business coach to help me how to leverage it more, but also continue to be authentic because I, I am still very, very aware or just keen. Like I have a sense of like not really wanting to be seen as just an athlete. So let's try to bring this all together, Suni. If you have kids or the young people in your family, will you encourage them to go to sports, even to the professional level? And how do you think it will affect their financial lives? Not to the professional level. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think, as I said before, like, I think there are tremendous character building opportunities to be, to be gained in sports. I think there are things to be learned, but I just, I, I think having a more well-rounded approach in terms of being educated, understanding how the world works and how to actually get yourself from like point A to point B is more important than, than going single-mindedly after that dream of that, of, of that tournament win or what have you. It's important, but it shouldn't be the end-all be-all. Chad, will you encourage your kids differently than you were encouraged at their age? I'm encouraging them less specifically on sports. My wife is also an athlete. She played soccer a little bit in college and we were both, you know, have had conversations about, Hey, she, you know, when she, one of our daughters runs like, man, she's really quick. Like that's fast. She's fast. She should play soccer, but it hasn't, they haven't shown an interest in it. So it's, it's been more interested in dance as they've been interested in art. They've been interested in literature. So to me, it's just, can they be interested and passionate about something? And I think I've expanded my mind to, to think there's, there's lots of character building activities out there and there's, there's pluses and minuses of every one of them. I want my daughters to be happy. I want them to be self-sufficient. I want them to have character. Those things matter to me. If sports is the metaphor that really resonates with them and that's their talent, great. If it's not, I'm sure there's lots of other things and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Lauren, at a high level, has being an athlete affected your financial life? Has it done good things for you as you've become an adult and move forward in your financial life? Yeah, for sure. I think that 
sports was very good for my financial life. And I'll say both the good and the bad aspects. So I talked about one of my mistakes being buying way too much house at an early age. That that lesson created education for me. It created an opportunity for me to be able to better speak to my clients. It created the passion for me to actually learn and kind of dig into, you know, what should you think about before purchasing a home so that you're not making a bad mistake? Because we know home buying is not a bad thing. You said, I could have just said like, oh, and everybody, everybody rent forever and ever because I had a bad experience. <laughs> you know, that, that's ridiculous. You, you know, instead I took that bad opportunity and I took it as an opportunity to learn a lot more and to really educate myself about the, the various things. Additionally, you know, I earned, I earned well over the, the 10 years. So I, I look back and I have a lot of regrets. And I, I think the beginning of my financial journey as a, a, a non-athlete and, and as a financial planner was a lot of me changing my money mindset and getting over. And I coulda, woulda, shoulda. Oh man, this guy didn't help me with this because I had two financial advisors during my career as well that I didn't feel like served me in the best way. And just saying like, okay, let's take inventory of what we have right now and let's see how to move forward. And, you know, more and more I'm seeing that I'm, I'm far ahead of my peers. So I, you know, I wasn't making it rain in the club or buying Ferraris, but I did make a, a significant amount of mistakes. And at the end of the day, those mistakes are not so detrimental that, you know, I'm never going to be able to retire. Or I'm, I'm digging myself out of a hole. I still ended out net positive, even though I could have had a lot more. It's like, I had to stop thinking about the, like I said, what I could have, would have, should have, been able to do and start making the most of what I did have, take inventory and move forward. And it's, it's been very valuable for, like I said, to be able to share that with others as well so that they don't make the same mistakes that I did. I really love this conversation. And one of the reasons is that in a sense, I feel that even my story connects very much to all of yours And maybe the way it is, is because in a sense, we're all to take the Theodore Roosevelt quote, the man in the arena, right? This idea that you have to show up, put yourself in the arena and either succeed or fail, but you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and do something. I found that basketball was not my way forward. In fact, after ninth grade, I never played that much. But the lessons I learned for putting myself out there and being willing to fail lasted for the rest of my life. And clearly, the successes and failures you all have had have had profound impacts on your life emotionally as well as financially and probably play a big role in why you're all so successful today. I want to give each one of you a chance to tell us what's going on in your life and where we can find you on the internet. I'll start with you, Chad. What's going on and where can we find you? Well, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me, Dr. G. This has been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot listening to, to Lauren and Suni as well. I'm hanging out online at coachcarson.com. Um, I do a, a podcast called the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast. And I also have blogs and, and articles about real estate investing and financial independence. So love to connect with everybody there. It's a wonderful podcast. Well worth a listen. I definitely listen to it all the time. Lauren, where can we find you and what's up next in your life? Well, the thing that I'm working on, well, COVID has kind of put a little monkey rich in it, is I'd love to do some retreats. So people love to vacation and I'd like for it, you know, like the same way they do wellness retreats and things now to do a financial retreat to help people go spend some time really nailing down their finances, but also have a good time along the way. So that's kind of the project that you can look out for post-COVID when, when we can get actually get out and start hanging out with each other once again. You can find me at worth-listening.com. So I also have a podcast that's 
centered around people having money discussions. And then if you're looking to get help organizing your finances, worth-winning.com. One of the cool things that I want to share about the financial planning aspect is I don't just help people that have large incomes or that can afford a planner. I actually spent a lot of time this fall creating a course to be able to help people of lower incomes get access to literacy because I believe it's so important. I wanted to make something that was going to be more affordable and it's different than other courses in the sense that you still get access to me as a financial planner for customized advice. So I'm asking you to meet me halfway, get some of the information via the course and then come and you know let's have a chat and give you some customized advice as well. So I'm really proud of that. And then the last way you can find me is lauren-williams.com, where if you're looking for all things Olympic about my life, you can find that there if you want me to speak or and all that kind of stuff. So, And SUNY, what's up next in your life and where can we find you? I can be found at griffixpropertygroup.com. That's my website, G-R-I-F-F-I-X, because everyone gets confused on how to spell it. I can also be reached at through Instagram, same same name, same handle, Griffix Property Group. I'm just right now focused on growing my real estate portfolio and trying to balance that with my job and try not to lose my mind. So if anyone ever has questions about real estate investing or just wants to bounce ideas or just like chat, I can be reached through those channels. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Chad Carson, Sunita Rao, and Lauren Williams. That's a wrap. I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about his finances, and he's not doing as well as he hoped for. He's not making as much money. He's not saving as much. He's finding himself in the midst of middle age with very little retirement savings and very little hope of retiring any time in the next 30 years. And at one point in the conversation, he looked at me and he said, you've always had it so easy. You've always had it so easy. And the truth of the matter is, I couldn't argue with him. I mean, in some ways I have. I was born with spectacular parents, parents who had money and education and know-how. I went to some of the best elementary, middle, and high schools in the country, and then I got a university education and had the grades and financial wherewithal to go to medical school. In some ways, I have had it easy. On the other hand, I've known this guy for years, and all those years I was out there building my life, putting the time in and working, he was goofing off. So when I, in high school, was staying home every weeknight studying, he was out messing with our friends. When I was in college at the library on Saturday morning, he was out at the football games. When I was in medical school and moonlighting and making extra money, he still hadn't found a job yet. So he's right. I guess I have had all the privileges. We have started in very different places, and now we've ended up in different places. And I used to argue with people like him that financial independence, having a good hold of your personal finances, is within everyone's reach. And I've started to pivot and change the conversation. You see, I don't say anymore that financial independence is a goal that everyone can reach because I just don't know. I don't know where they started. I don't know what their impediments to being successful are. 
I guess what I would say is I can help you learn how to get better. I can give you financial advice or have guests on the Earn and Invest podcast that can tell you how to go from where you are now to a place that's more stable and more safe in the future. So I'm not sure I like these goals anymore, whether it be financial independence or being a millionaire, six figures, seven figures, or eight figures. I'm not sure how much it really matters. What matters is that we all can improve our financial situations. And how do we do that? Well, we invest in ourselves with education, whether it be education we pay for through a university or through hours spent on YouTube taking online courses and learning a skill. We learn how to invest. So not everyone has to be an expert investor, but you need to understand what the stock market is, what bonds are, how to invest in them, how to figure out what your asset allocation is, how to understand diversification, what index funds are, how to invest in a mutual fund. These are all the basics. We need to understand these things. We need to understand how to have a budget and be frugal. Everyone should know how to track how much money they spend each month and where they can cut costs. Like, do you need that magazine subscription that you look at once every six months? Do you need cable TV if you're using Hulu and Amazon and Netflix? Do you really need someone to cut your grass when you're sitting around Saturday morning doing nothing? If we have these skills, if we invest in ourselves, if we understand the stock market, if we learn how to be frugal and set a budget we automatically will be at a better place than if we don't do those things. And what I'm really talking about is incremental gain. And that's why I've stopped setting these goals when I talk to friends or people I coach. That's why I think goal setting can occasionally be problematic. It's great when you're on your way. It's great when you're highly achieving. But it's not so great when you're finding yourself at the bottom and trying to claw your way up. Instead of looking at getting to the top of the mountain, sometimes you first have to dig yourself out of the hole. And once you've done that, then you can consider buying your climbing gear and going further. Not financial independence, not millionaire status, not six-figure or seven-figure or eight-figure net income. What I hope you get from listening to Earn and Invest is learning how to make your finances better. Better than they were before. And maybe even better than you thought they could be. Awesome. Ooh, that was so good. Yeah, it was good. That was a lot of fun. I hope, you know, it's... It's a weird topic, right? Most of my topics are weird, but I just felt like it was a story that needed to be told. And so, yes, not everyone in personal finance are athletes, but there's certainly a group of them. And when you really start talking to people, you find out that there are a lot of people who played in college or were semi-professional, etc. And I just feel like those suite of skills that you guys develop 
make you successful in life if you know how to harness them. And clearly all three of you knew how to do exactly that. And we hear all these strange stories, right, about athletes who make millions and millions and then they retire and lose it all. And I think you guys are the exact opposite or antidote to that of people who were very thoughtful about their careers as athletes, didn't come out with millions and millions, and yet still plowed ahead and made these very successful lives. So I think it's a great story. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.